feel like in my heart I want to be a wrestler. We'll see what happens when the football is done. But, yeah, I would love to. Would you be a wrestler or a wrestler? Mm, may start out as a wrestler, and then, you, you know, you get your promos going and get that main streak in, and then, then you become a wrestler. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History Season 2. By now you know the drill. It's all about Super Bowl champs. And we have a special guest for you this week, a current player whose story is pretty remarkable. We'll get to him in a minute, but we're also partnering with DraftKings in Season 2 to help you enjoy your sporting experience, maybe just a little bit. So make sure you use the promo code WINGO when you use and download the DraftKings app. As I said, our guest this week is a guy who's currently on the field. Uh, who devolved in his career into major success. Started out as a quarterback, then went to a tight end, defensive end, and eventually a first-round draft pick as an offensive lineman and a Super Bowl champ along the way. I'm talking about none other than the future wrestling superstar and current offensive lineman, Lane Johnson. Lane, first and foremost, thanks for being with us. And I guess the big question is, you healthy? You good? You coming back from the ankle injury? All good. Rehabbing. I should be full in about a month. I'm starting to do some running now, so they're telling me late April should be full go. Late April, uh, early May. If we have OTAs this year, you'll be you'll be participating. Yeah, if we have OTAs, I'll be there. Before we go any further, we need to we need to set up where you are because if people are watching this, they're seeing some weird stuff behind you. You're in what you call your bro barn, which is basically a gym that used to be a horse barn. A renovated horse barn. Yeah, so we got it. Uh, this creepy, like, mansion place behind my house. Owned all this property back here, and they own this creepy horse barn, too. So we ended up fixing it up, put a gym in here. And since the COVID hit, it's been pretty useful as far as, you know, guys being able to come out here if they're not able to go into the facility. So it's, it's coming handy. Now, you're a big dude from Texas. So what makes this a creepy horse barn? I mean, are there certain barriers that it has to qualify to get that status? <laughs> It was old. I, I first got in here and uh, just had cobwebs everywhere. And then the big mansion behind me looks like something out of the movie The Conjuring or something, you know, just has a weird vibe. <laughs> high, you know, high pitched roofs, just not not a good feeling. Well, I'm glad you say that because I spent an early part of my career in the sort of area where you are outside of Philadelphia. And when you get remote outside of Philadelphia, like there are weird vibes in the backwoods of Pennsylvania and Jersey, right? Yeah, just just a lot of old history. And you can you can. You Sense it when you when you're walking around that area. Yeah, sometimes I, I whenever I just felt the need to always look over my shoulder, like what what's yeah. going on around here. You just you just get that vibe sometimes in that place. Exactly. All right. So the vibe for the season for the Eagles was not what you guys wanted. Like, how frustrating was the season for you guys with what you thought was going to happen and the way it played out? Uh, very frustrating. Four eleven and one, probably one of the worst uh, seasons that we've ever had. But I mean, as far as the transitions and stuff that we made. So far, uh, I feel like we're not done. It's been good for the team. I thought the Carson Wentz trade benefited him, benefited us. I know he's in a good place with Frank Wright in, in Indianapolis. And then, you know, uh, the draft's coming up. Who knows what's going to happen? And really, man, we're just trying to get ready for OTAs, and it's all kind of, you know, playing it by ear. So we're just checking email updates every now and then and, and seeing what our schedule is. Yeah, when you say the draft is coming up and nobody knows what's going to happen, the Eagles checked that box last year. Really? Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, mm. That had to surprise a lot of people. What did you think when that happened? Yeah, I was. I mean, I was surprised by the pick. But then, you know, as you mark up your years in the NFL, you see a lot of crazier stuff. But, uh, you know, what impressed me about Jalen is how he handled his whole transition from Alabama to Oklahoma. I uh, thought he handled it with a bunch of class. And then, you know, coming here as a rookie last year, got in, got some experience. But, you know, he's a hard worker. 
carries, you know, he's a very confident guy, and he's a lot, he can do a lot for us with his legs and his arm. When he had his opportunities, I thought he played pretty well, but it was a pretty small sample size. Yeah. And then the Eagles make the decision based on a much larger sample size to move on from Carson. As you said, he goes to Indianapolis when the trade can become official uh, to, to now be there. What was it like seeing that play out and, and sort of trying to figure out what was happening? A lot of it, I mean, I was out of the building. I was injured, but just watching it, uh, you know, the offense never could really get a rhythm. So when nothing's happening. There, there is no progression. you got to try new things, and, and that's what happened. And, you know, I think I thought Carson handled it uh, very well, you know, handling the whole Jalen situation. And then the offseason came around, and, and whatever happened, happened. But like you said, you know, he played, uh, you know, a few games, a sample size. But, you know, in an ideal world, we would like to have these OTAs going, get some camaraderie, you know, some – some throws in with the receivers, get those guys working, and then, you know, so we can go into training camp a little bit better off than what we did last year. You've been around for a while now since you were drafted in 2013, so you know how crazy this business is. But if I had told you, like a week after you guys had won Super Bowl 52, hey, I got a prop bet for you, 10 to 1 odds. I bet by the time we start the 2021 season, both Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson won't be on the Philadelphia Eagles. You would have thought I was crazy. Yeah, and you know, a kind of similar situation or, or you know, happened whenever with Chip and, you know, releasing Deshaun and LaShawn that year, I think it was 2013 or, or 2014. And that right. was kind of talk. And I remember that's like the last time I remember, you know, feeling like that, just going, wow, this is a crazy uh, business that we're in. But it happens. You're seeing a lot of trades and stuff happen, happening now. Uh, veterans on the market, free agency. So it's that time every year. We know what time it is. So this year is going to be weirder than anything because of the salary cap situations and, and what's going on. Um, but have you ever look around in Philadelphia and say, well, Chris Long's not here. I don't know if Zach Ertz is going to be here. Carson is gone. My head coach is gone. Malcolm Jenkins is in new Orleans. Where did everybody go? It's like uh, it's like survivor. And there's only a few, <laughs> left, a few left on the Island. Uh, yeah, man, it's, you know, just me and I guess Zach and I left in 2013 class. I don't know he's going to be back or what's happening, a lot of trade speculation. And I think you have Fletch before me and then BG and then Kels. I think those are the three others or they're a little bit older than me. Fletch is younger than me. So we're getting on up there. Only in this business and only playing in this game can you be considered getting up there at your age, right? In any other place, you'd be up. You're good. You're in the prime of your career. Everything's fine. And now you have to look around and say, wait a minute, who, who's, who's coming behind me here? It's kind of like being yeah. in the woods of Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you, you have outliers like the Larry Fitzgeralds of the world, the, the Tom Brady's of the world who are pushing an envelope. Andrew Whitworth, what, 38, 39. So there's guys that have been doing it for a while. So as you get older, you take inspiration from them. You take the energy from the young guys that are coming in and, and try to ball it up and, and do the best you can. We'll get to Brady uh, in a little bit because I, I don't know if you heard, he, he won another Super Bowl. Uh, no, I did <laughs> yeah, well, this just in, I'm breaking some news to you. So we'll get to that later. But your journey to me was fascinating because in terms of a football player, one could argue you devolved into success, right? Because you were a high school quarterback and tight end. So you go play Juco at Kilgore. For those that don't know, Kilgore Rangers, phenomenal program uh, in Texas. And then you get to Oklahoma. You, you start there as a quarterback and a tight end. Then you go defensive end, tight end. Then you go right tackle to left tackle. And I think a lot of people would say, how does one guy go from being a JUCO quarterback 
to end up being a starting right and left tackle at a, at a big 12 program. That, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Well, the first two years, I mean, I was with Kevin Wilson, who's at Ohio state now, the offensive coordinator, he was my tight ends coach. So our practices were very physical. So that was probably the toughest transition year, probably my football career. Just, I wouldn't get any playing time, just practicing, getting my teeth kicked in the dirt. But, you know, as I started getting older, we, you know, they do the bod pod test every year and they measure like the width of your shoulders and your hips and all this. And so when I first got in, my frame was like 270. And then by the end of my second year, he was like, well, it looks like you're going to be playing O-line. And I didn't want to hear that at the time. And so I kept playing tight end. I played a few games at DN, didn't know what I was doing, didn't really know the, the schematics of it. And then going to my junior year, one of our tackles uh, gets injured. And during spring drill, I, they moved me over and Man, I treated it like basketball. And then two weeks in, Stoops was like, man, you could be a first-round pick. I, I believe you can. And uh, once I heard that, that's all I needed, that vote of confidence. But it was a weird transition going from a quarterback, you know, you have the ball in your hands, you're, you're making plays, to, you know, you're just – you're solely there to help out your team. But what I like about it, I love the O-line group. I love the guys. I just, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I love being around the guys. When Bob tells you, hey, I think you can be a first-round pick that obviously sold it but at that point from a guy who played quarterback and was either going to sack the quarterback or catch the ball from the quarterback going to an offensive lineman when you first heard the news what what, you were like no right no that's a hard pass for me he was talking about it earlier in the spring and I was like I'm not a you know last thing I want to do is do that just just give it all up and go to the line but you know, I was I was second, third string at defensive end, and it was actually uh, Mangino, Mark Mangino, who was um, he actually moved Jamal Brown, who was a D, defensive tackle, to offensive tackle. So he's done it before, and I think he's the one that put the word in for for Coach Stoops to do it to me. So thanks, Mangino, uh, wherever you're at. Well, it, it's worked out for you. You you you've gotten a couple of decent kicks at the can of the contract. So uh, although we're always you know the word we always hear in the NFL is restructuring, and I always like to say restructuring means one of two things. Either we're moving the money around to fit the cap or someone's taking a haircut, right? Those are the only two options. When you hear restructure, there's only one of two options. And you just, people read that all the time. Oh, he got his contract restructured. But the player's like, yeah, let let me tell you what that actually means. Because sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it sucks. Yeah, well, sometimes they move it into signing bonus or move it in a way to where it's not affecting the cap. So there's, there's different ways of doing it. Sometimes they backload contracts. It just depends on the year they have. But I think this will be my third year doing it. So... Hey, man, we're lucky. We're playing football. You know, we're playing the kids' game for a living. So it's all good. Um, yes, yeah, so my, my main focus is just staying uh, injury-free. And when I'm playing, I know I'll do good things. So that's really where my focus at. And then just uh, ready to meet the coaches. Uh, you know, we, we kind of talked to a few of them, uh, you know, small talk where we're at. I guess the word was we're supposed to be back in April sometime, but, I, you know, who knows. How much conversation have you had, if any, with the coaching staff? Yeah, I talked to Coach Sirianni um, one time. So basically, he's asking where you where where are you at right now? Um, you know, how's everything going? Just kind of small talk, and then um, you know, I think we'll get more formally introduced here in a couple of weeks. I guess when we're back. You know how this thing goes, right? Everyone sees one thing and they have a massive reaction to it. So, you know, Coach Sirianni had that initial press conference, and there were some clips that people thought he didn't quite eloquate or say the things the, the right way. And he wanted to, and a lot of people tearing in for that. And it's understandable and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, it feels like 
every situation, there's a massive reaction to the one littlest thing. So in talking with him and talking to the players, what has been your initial impression of your new head coach? Uh, just his intelligence. I think how he handles the group. I think he knows, you know, um, that we have a good team. Uh, I think he's, he's confident. I, you know, I just, I know he's ready to get back in the building so we can learn the offense and get that stuff down. It's, it's very difficult to do it over zoom, but really, you know, the energy's high. We have a bunch of young coaches, so a bunch of young bulls ready to come in and, and take things by the horn. So, you know, from that standpoint, I mean, I know everybody's hungry, but right now I think their main focus is to try to get this offense handled in or as much as we can before training camp. So we're not, you know, behind the ball whenever that happens. Obviously, a lot of the reasons that Doug isn't there is whatever happened between him and Carson and how Jalen was brought in and all that kind of stuff. If someone was to ask you right now, when I say the words Doug Peterson, what's the first thing that comes to mind? We miss him. I mean, he was, is, you know, you have a guy in your life for four or five years, you're seeing every day and then that happens and then they're gone. You know, it's like having a guy on your team that you, that you played with, you know, for a while and all of a sudden they're traded to another team. It's like... It's a bittersweet, but, you know, I appreciate everything he's done for us, for the team, for the for the city of Philadelphia, and and uh, I don't know where he is. Hopefully he's fishing and, and having a good time. So I just, you know, appreciate everything he's done for us. And we'll see how quickly he gets back into it when uh, things shake out a little bit. Uh, you mentioned you were part of that 2013 draft class, you, you and Zach Ertz. That was one of the weirdest drafts of all time because three of the first four picks were offensive linemen. Eric Fisher uh, that went to Kansas City and has had a great career there. Hope he gets healed from the Achilles injury, which uh, didn't allow him to play in the Super Bowl. Then Luke Jokel uh, went very high to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you went uh, out of Oklahoma to to the Eagles. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever going to happen again, right? the the way The way the game is played now, and and the value placed on quarterbacks, we're talking about five potentially six quarterbacks going in the first round of the twenty twenty one draft. How weird does it? Feel now to look back all those years later and say I was one of th- three of the first four picks were offensive linemen. Yeah, it is weird, and you look back at it because we haven't seen nothing like that since. But you know, the priority is you know you have these big name guys. You got the Aaron Rodgers. You got to have the guys to go out and protect them. And with the way that the defenses are now, you have really premier pass rushers on both sides. So you know, the tackle position is has always been you know one of those positions going to be paid well. But at the same time, you know, you got a job to do. I put it right out there with cornerback. It's a difficult position. At the same time, I mean, it has its benefits. But being a – yeah, it was it was definitely a weird year. I don't think anything like that will happen again. It's hard to be – I mean, it's always been a quarterback league, but it's just – it's only amplifying. Yeah, and the worst part about being an offensive lineman, unless you're one of the best of the best, as you said, like the only time you get recognized if there's a penalty. Oh, he gave up a sack. Oh, we're holding. So I, I imagine there had to be a big part of you that kind of loved what you saw – in the Super Bowl between the Bucks and the Chiefs, because at the end of the day, that was an ass whooping on the offensive line of scrimmage. Yeah. Like people talk about the cover two safeties and all that kind of stuff. I get all that, but you give Patrick Mahomes time, he's still going yeah. to be able to do his stuff. And what yeah. we saw, this is my philosophy in football, and I believe this. My son was an offensive lineman. I'm not biased, but I believe this my entire life. Football is a game where one wall of men tries to dominate another wall of men, which allows everything else to happen. And boy, that was the case on Super Bowl Sunday. As an offensive lineman, you had to kind of love that because it sort of said, see, we matter because the Chiefs line was decimated and they were destroyed up front. Yeah, I kind of got a similar vibe from whenever um, the Broncos played uh, the Carolina Panthers and how Vaughn and DeMarcus Ware took over that game. How it made it a rough, 
if you don't have anybody to, to block the edges or you have guys screaming off the edge like that, then you have guys on the inside like a, a, a Vita Vea and then um, and Dominican Sue pressing the guy's interior. It just, you know, collapses that pocket and it doesn't matter who's back there. If you have the world's greatest, you don't have time to throw or you're flushing guys out of the pocket. It makes everything um, not as easy as what it's supposed to be. But, yeah, man, I mean, yeah, you're going to get Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Those two guys are the real deal. Yeah. Now, now are you a guy that watches the, the Super Bowl every year? Because I know some guys refuse to watch if they're not playing it. So where, where are you on, on that front? I really don't watch football outside of it. I made a joke to Pat McAfee that it's like, you know, a police officer coming home and watching cops. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, I watched, watched the Super Bowl. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really have a team I was picking for. I guess, you know, one of my buddies plays deep snapper. Winchester plays for the Chiefs. I have yeah. a few guys in Tampa Bay, so I wasn't really rooting for anybody. But Yeah, it's like I have friends of mine that are lawyers, and they, they like, refuse to watch any L.A. shows. Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, there's no way yeah. this actually happens, right? Yeah. So so can you be a passive observer? Or if you're watching a game, do you do you sort of get into – like, I know, I know some players that really – Either they watch the ball for the first time or they just watch their position when they're watching a game. Yeah, a lot of times I'm watching our position. And then, you know, I can't really sit there and watch the whole game. I watch bits and pieces. If I see somebody get beat, I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch that. It's like bad memories. <laughs> Even like watching film during the week, I hate – I don't like watching film of the guy I'm going against because usually the coach will put up his highlight film of him just destroying everybody. And so what am I gaining out of that other than probably diminishing yeah. my confidence? bit but yeah. really for my position everything is um based off what i present him so if i'm high in my set well he's probably going to bull rush me if i'm lunging you know it's all about what i present him so if i can go out and kick fast and and, and get a good set line in you know a lot of times i'm in a good good spot you grew up in texas and you're playing for the eagles and obviously uh, you play the cowboys twice a year were you a cowboys fan growing up I was a Green Bay Packers fan. I was a huge Brett Favre fan growing up. But but I had some family members that had a lot of Dallas Cowboys uh, memorabilia in, in the living room. So I do remember one time you almost had to tell your grandmother to shut up because we were playing the play. There was the week for the Cowboys, right? I did tell her. It wasn't almost. I did. <laughs> and screaming for him, and I'm like, hey, "What the hell are you doing?" So <laughs> I said, "If you want to live live to see 75, I said you better uh, you better stop what you're doing." <laughs> How'd that go over with the rest of the family? You know, she laughs a little bit and then she started cooking, I think. So it wasn't too bad. You know, she <laughs> took coatings and, and just went forward. She just pressed through. So she was, a, she was a good uh, sport on that. She was a trooper. She was an offensive lineman at heart. Hey, yeah, shit, you, shit comes at you sideways and I got to do it. We call the old line room, the mushroom society, because you're fed shit and you just, Hey, you just got to make something out of it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, why don't we stop feeding shit right now, take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Super Bowl 52 and what happens going forward with the Eagles, all right? Yes, sir. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, our legends have racked up awards, including MVPs, championships, and Hall of Fame busts. And if you're looking for a credit card, you should probably want one that wins awards, too. The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best of Awards winner for 0% intro APR and balance transfer credit card. It provides a great way to pay for large purchases over time, as well as consolidating other card balances. And speaking of award winners, the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card is NerdWallet's 2021 Best Credit Card for Dining Out or Ordering In. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. Get two times points on gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. 
And if you're into cash back or travel rewards, U.S. Bank has credit cards that feature those benefits as well. Check out the full suite of credit cards at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated, and the cards are available to U.S. residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. March's biggest tournament is finally here, and we don't know who's going to be cutting down the nets at the end, but we know there's going to be no shortage of March Madness, right? And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of attention. Bet $4 on an underdog, and you win $256 if they win. It is literally that simple. Turning $4 into $256 is 64 to 1 odds. Smart math. Every dollar you bet could turn into 64 bucks. Pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. All it takes is a $4 bet. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook app. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf and hockey and almost anything else. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So just download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code WINGO when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code WINGO to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, and some restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, back with more with Lane Johnson, or I should say David Lane Johnson. Now, not many people know that. Do you, do you just, I've always gone by your middle name? Yeah, when I when I do something stupid, they like to call me David. But, you get uh, your full name, you get the full name. David Lane Johnson, come over here right now. Yeah, they'll just call me David. If I'm being stupid and ignorant, and they'll just call me David. But today I'm Lane. Okay, well, listen, because I don't want to get the shit kicked out of me from the bro barn. You're always Lane with me. So 2017 was so weird. Like, you guys were on top of the world for most of that year. You made it look easy for most of the year. You know, you, you jump out to that great start. And I remember after every game, the, the team was dancing on the sidelines, dancing on the field after a big win. And then obviously it all changed in that game against the Rams, which you won when Carson went down. Um, when that happened, what was your initial reaction? What a tough blow that was just because the season he was having and the momentum that we had. But you got a sense of confidence when Foles came in there and then finished off the game, we won. You know, the I think we had two more games after that, and we were trying to, you know, be polished before we make the playoffs, and we didn't look very good at all. So going into the playoffs, it was – I felt like we had no pressure on us. We weren't, you know, expected to do a whole lot. So really going in, we had nothing to lose, and I feel like that's, you know, a big reason why we may have played so well. Well, you started the whole dog underdog mask thing, right? Uh, you you and Chris Long sort of adopted that. When did that idea come up? How did that sort of germinate? How did that start? It all came up because, you know, we were supposed to be – or I guess we were number one seed that year. And then, you know, Carson gets hurt, and then we're expected to get beat by Atlanta. And then, you know, we're the city of Philadelphia, the you know, Rocky, and you got that mantra going. I was like, well, makes sense. And uh, Chris – talking about it and he's you know said once you get a type of a mask or something so i ordered that mask and hey there were 12 dollars tray and then you know after that whole uh, underdog thing went off they went up to 42 so 
the mask companies, they did quite well that year. Then we get to the game. That was one of the weirdest Super Bowls I can ever remember because I have this thing, and I, I believe in this. Quarterbacks, wins and losses are not a quarterback stat. Teams win games, teams win championships, teams lose games. Mm-hmm. Like you could make the argument that, that was the best Super Bowl Tom Brady ever played. Threw for 300 yards in the first half, 500 plus yards in the entire game, and they lost. Yeah, 505. And and they lost. So, you know, like that game had so many weird things that went on. The Philly special is just, you know, a small part of that. When in in the first half of that game did you think, yeah, it's just like we thought. We can hang with these guys. Yeah, my main focus was just to have good set lines. And, uh, you know, James Harrison comes on my side. Make sure you uh, you get ready because he's going to try to pull you into the quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, it went by so fast the first half. We were scoring points. It just we had such good momentum. And then the second half was really, you know, when, when he got the, the ball back two minutes ago, I was like, well, if this isn't a more storybook ending for Tom to get another one on us. Brandon has that strip sack, and it's like, you know, hey, we're about to win this thing. But it was just – it was such a fun, exciting game. You know, I think it was the most yards ever recorded, maybe in the game. I know in the Super Bowl, and most points ever scored. So, it was really – I know from an entertainment standpoint, it was it was right up there. But, I mean, whenever you get to that point of the season, you know, you're in February, you start this thing really, you know, April. It's really a year-long process. By the time you get to that game, you're just so ready to play – you know, not really thinking a whole lot about anything and just uh, going out there and doing what, you, what you've been trained to do all year. When they called the Philly special, what was your reaction? I said yes, because this is a play that I cannot mess up. It is a, uh, <laughs> it is a bootleg, run simple, just run left uh, for the O-line. But he did – he had the snap count where he called my name, so I was making sure not to jump off sides. That was my main focus. So easy job for the O-line up front. You know, we had it in the in the game plan for a few weeks, and I felt like, well, if there's any time we should call it, we should call it now. So I got a free play out of it. Foles caught a touchdown. It was easy, and uh, I had one of the best plays of, of uh, Super Bowl history. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because it speaks to the mindset you have to have as an offensive lineman or really as a football player. It's like you're not thinking about the grand scheme of the play. The only thing you're thinking about is what is my responsibility and how can I or can I not mess it up? Yeah, and people. And what people don't realize is when we go to the facility, like if the offense, we'll meet as a group for a little bit, you know, maybe 20, 30 minutes, and then you're with your position coach most of the time. So I'm with Coach Stoutland, you know, pretty much all day, every day. And then, you know, Fridays and Saturdays, we'll have all minutes of meetings and that, but really you're with, you know, your position coach all the time. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. Now they found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. And now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers they could before, and people from all over the world can visit their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at microsoft.com slash teams. So the Hail Mary to Gronk falls short. That's it, game over. I always like to ask people this question. When you finally realize the clock struck zero, and you guys had won the Super Bowl, which means you're now a part of history. What was the first thing that went through your mind? First thing is I'm used to seeing everybody go crazy when the confetti's falling. So I just stayed seated for about 20 seconds and watch everybody go nuts. And then uh, first guy I see is uh, Coach Mike Grow and give him a hug. And then, man, just uh, – uh, it felt really special for the older guys. I remember Brenton Selleck was talking about – I guess he was in the NFC Championship game early in his career. And he was like, 
and they lost and he was like, man, I'll be back. And then he made, you know, he gave us a speech said, you know, I'm here 11 years later and you don't get very many opportunities. So to have guys like that, Chris, uh, Jason Peters, the guys that have been around the league for a long time to get that was, was very special. Torrey Smith, you know, that uh, the good thing about that team, man, we had the perfect blend of, you know, young guys and then the, the better in leadership too. So uh, just, a, just a perfect storm and something we, we got to get back to. I'm glad you mentioned Selleck because I, I had Zach on and Ertz told me he was the worst crier he's ever seen in his life. Like I, I don't know how you sort of you know, judge or rate crime. He, he was a terrible crier. Did you get the same impression? He just had one of the ugly, you know, one of the ugly faces when he cries. Just, you, <laughs> you good over there? But uh, old Selleck, man, one of my favorite teammates. Quite, quite a character himself if you get to know him. So that, speaking of characters now, that leads up to the celebration uh, which in Philadelphia they've been waiting there and Eagle fans have been waiting their entire life for this. I mean, that's, I guess, why you eat horse crap uh, at the at the victory parade. You got yeah. long up there in a fur coat. Uh, you're up there wearing ski goggles and I think Zubash pants. And then, of course, we have Kelsey dressed up as a mummer. Uh, that might have been one of the craziest, wildest parades I can remember in Super Bowl history. I just remember being on the buses and you just saw people just on the ground. You saw people in trees, you saw people on top of buildings. It was like, uh, don't even know how to explain it. It was like you're in a video game. As the parade went longer, as we got closer to our final destination, people got more intoxicated. Uh, no, get out of here. Things got a little bit more blurry. Um, a lot of good stuff was said at the, at the podium. Uh, yeah, man, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a blur. And what people don't realize, man, is that, you know, after all that stuff's over, it's about two months and you're already back for OTAs. So it's a, a short process, but definitely, man, it's just a city. It, was just, it has just been waiting to erupt like that for years. And it's, you could just tell. And I know what a lot of people had, had a lot of good times uh, those, I guess that week. Well, well Philly's an interesting city. I, I think it kind of gets a bad rap in terms of the fans. I think there's some of the most passionate sports fans out there and sure there are instances where things have gone over the line, at least they care. And at least, you know, where they stand, right? Like there's not a single Philly sports fan that is going to sugarcoat anything. And on some level you have to respect that. Yeah. In a way we respect it because it makes you be the best version of yourself because you're scared. I mean, the, you know, you can see how it is in one year, what it can do to a player or, or really anybody. So yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's an intimidating place to play. I remember getting drafted, you know, first round. I got Jason Peters, the Hall of Famer, on the left side. And, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be just like this guy. And it takes time. I mean, it takes a, it is, you know, you, you're never, you're never through growing or trying to become the player you want to. But um, passion, I just think they're misunderstood. That's what it is. They're just misunderstood a little bit. We just need to delve a little bit more into the the Eagle fan psyche, and we'll all understand it. That's, but it's yeah. like a lot of analysis. That's all you need. But you mentioned Peters, and like he's a freak show. Like he also came, he was also a tight end, but he never played quarterback. But I don't think people truly understand what a freaking athletic talent that Jason Peters is. Like, what can you tell us about him? Well, I remember our first weigh-in, I believe he weighed 355, 360. And so, you know, and I, you know, coming out, you know, one of our guys that coached me in college, uh, Joe John Finley, who's back there coaching tight ends at OU, he played with Joe Staley. He's like, man, you're a lot like Joe Staley. You know, Joe, Joe Staley's 315. What, you know, I'm trying to be like him. And I come in, I see Jason Peters weighing 360. I'm like, there's no way this dude can move that big, you know. He can fly. He just sprawls. You know, a lot of time in his past, that he's like a, he sprawls out like a, just like a big bear and just engulfs people. But I was like, whoa, man, there's, there's levels to this. But, one thing I, I could take away from his game right away is my movement skills are pretty similar. 
but obviously he had to to get stronger, absorb the bull rush better. But I, I like the way that that he always played the game. I love his uh, athletic jump sets. I love just really his his mentality when he plays. And so the guys I liked watching was him, Trent. You know, Trent Williams came out of OU before me, so I, yep. I saw him. But I like their styles of play. Their, their style of play. They're, they're brawlers, and I think it's like a fighter. Everybody has right. their own style doing doing their job. Is there a, is there a pride in Oklahoma offensive linemen and how many have come out and done well in the NFL? Is there, did you guys all communicate? Yeah, Orlando, uh, Trent. I mean, Jamal was there. Jamal's a little bit older. Uh, we got Creed yeah. Humphrey out. A few guys. Uh, ben Powers uh, been there uh, with the Ravens now. Yeah, we take pride in it. Uh, they got a good coach there, Bill Beedenbow. Man, it's just a factory, a QB factory at OU, and then they're, they're putting out a lineman every year. So we take pride in it, and uh, you know, hopefully, it just keeps climbing. Yeah, it's been very, very productive. You mentioned something which I thought was interesting. You said you need to deal, be able to deal with the Eagles fans because you, if you don't, you know, it can really disrupt you. This happens every time when someone leaves a city. And I always say, well, if it was a problem when they were winning, why it's, it's only seems to be a problem when they're losing. And a lot of people have said since Carson left, well, you know, he didn't handle this well, or he didn't handle that well. And I always feel like that's a bunch of garbage because I don't think Carson changed. I think it was the same guy, but it didn't matter as long as you were winning, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at this – at this uh, where we're at in Philly, as far as being under the microscope, you are. And so the the if you can ignore it and just don't even have it in your brain, if you can just focus on, hey, I'm a football player, what can I do to maximize myself, practice better, eliminate the distractions, and your head will be clear and you'll play better. But if you get caught up in the shuffle and – you know, where am I going to be next year? Uh, what if I keep playing like this? And I've been there. Everybody's been there, um, you know, at this city. It can, you know, it just distracts you from where you're at. So having a clean mind, having a clear mindset is is key and trying to reset every offseason. But like I said, man, Philadelphia demands greatness. They demand they demand uh, respect and, they you know, they want the team to win. And so, hey, we do too. Carson was going to be the MVP in 2017 before he got hurt. And then he has to watch Nick go on and take you guys to the Super Bowl and win Super Bowl yeah. MVP. Then he gets hurt. The next year, and you see Nick come back in, win a couple of games, and it looked like you guys were going to beat the Saints until, you know, the drop. Did that weigh on him, do you think, that the, the Foles thing was sort of always there? Yeah, I mean, it's such a gloomy hangover for somebody having to deal with. I mean, but at the same time, you know, everybody's argument is, well, he's getting paid this, he's getting paid that. Yeah. At the end of the day, money's money, and people are people, so people are going to react to different things. So it may have been in the psyche, but – um, moving forward, I mean, I think we knew that in the offseason it wasn't a good fit maybe anymore. I know he was ready to kind of make a new home, new transition. And I felt like, you know, the Frank deal going to Indianapolis was – I think we knew that all along uh, what was going to happen. Well, listen, they, they worked together so well when he was back with you, so hopefully that will be the case uh, going forward. Okay, I always like to do this, right? I always like to get a teammate – current or former teammate to give me some real good information before I have somebody on. I reached out mm -hmm. to one of your former teammates. First thing he says to me is tell, ask him about his future in wrestling. You, you want to be a wrestler when all this is said and done? Well, Jim Ross was uh JR who was an announcer for WWE. He was always at our games and he, he would just whisper in my ear every now and then, you know, Hey, football don't work out. Hey, I got, I got you a spot. So I feel like in my heart, I want to be a wrestler, but we'll see what happens when the football is done. But yeah, I would love to. It's uh Something you never had to grow up in. You just seems like a lot of fun. Would you be a wrestler or a wrestler? Mm. May start out as a wrestler, and then you you know you get your promos going and you get that main streak in, and then then you become a wrestler. 
Yeah, you gotta. I, I guess that's the best way to set it, right? You start as a wrestler, and then if you have the chops, you become a wrestler, right? Yeah, exactly. You got that flair. You got that. You got that something to you. Yeah, you got you got to work your way up to the long A wrestling. Uh, he also said, uh, make sure you talk about your, your dad being a rodeo guy. So tell me a little bit about your dad. And those rodeo guys, they don't mess around now. So I can understand why you'd want to be a wrestler and a pro football player if your dad was working rodeo. Yeah, so my dad was actually a bull rider. So he, uh, he did that growing up. Yeah, so he actually in high school, he was about 6'1 when he graduated. And then after high school, he grew to like he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, so imagine him, he's on a he's on a bull, but most of these guys that are competing are 5'5 are five, five or 5'6". Five, so a lot of the bull riders are little. So he's a pretty athletic guy. He, uh, he's been doing construction his whole life. Very country guy, uh, very funny. I would uh, I would say he would probably have a pretty funny Netflix special with all the jokes that he has. And <laughs> he's a very, uh, very entertaining guy. He's been looking for eight since they pulled that gate, as George Strait <laughs> once, exactly. once famously said. So, listen, I can understand why you're an offensive lineman if your dad was a bull rider. Damn, that, that shit ain't easy. I mean, he did, he did high jump and track in high school. He played quarterback, too. But uh, then I think he just, you know, he had to work a lot in high school, so he didn't really play a whole lot. Speaking of impressive, uh, you have been very effusive in passing it back or paying it forward. And uh, you were very generous to, to Kilgore. You, you gave them, what, 500 grand to set up something. Why was that important to you? It's important to me because uh, people don't understand uh, the JUCO life or, or even been to a junior college or know what it's like. But a lot of it is people are there to transition themselves to where they want to be. So a lot of guys are maybe non-qualifiers or didn't get the scholarship that they wanted out of high school. And now they're at a place where they can go division one. So I was telling, you know, my, when I was down there that my first game, I played quarterback and I, I had Levante David at quarter uh, at linebacker for Fort Scott. And I had Jason Pierre Paul at uh, at defensive end. So Damn. those are the type of talents you get. And I've, I've mentioned last chance you on Netflix, you get a chance to watch that. You get to see. Oh, it's great. A lot of these kids, I mean, it's uncertainties, nothing's guaranteed, but what I've seen, I've seen some of the best athletes I've ever seen in football come from there. And I've seen some of the best people. So a lot of these coaches, I mean, they're nonstop trying to get these guys' grades up, get them qualified. So it's a lot of almost like, you know, they're a fatherly figure over these kids because, you know, a lot of stuff's going on during that semester. But really, you know, they didn't have a facility that they I – mean, they, they all shared the weight room with the regular students. So they didn't really have a, a separate weight room for the football team or really for anybody else to use. So it was big for them. It was big for uh, the coaches that were there whenever I was there. So Willie Gooden was the offensive line coach when I was there. Now he's the head coach. So, man, seeing him happy, uh, seeing those kids happy, that's what it's all about. And I know it'll, it'll be put to good use, you know, over the next few years. That's awesome. And a great job by you uh, making sure that other people get the opportunity that, that uh, you had to make sure that continues. So, listen, I know you have your own podcast. Tell me about that podcast. Where can people catch it? Man, we, we did outside the lane last year. We haven't really gotten on the ball this year. We may change it to something else. I'm not, you know, it's really just kind of a test trial. But what I have found is that I enjoy interviewing people. I love, uh, you know, guys that I've maybe watched or emulated growing up and getting to pick their brains and, and what their life was like in their profession. And really, man, when you come out of it, you feel like you have a greater respect for for them and what they've done. So it's been a lot of fun. And and I was doing it on IG Live last year, so if I had a you know nice studio set up and maybe uh, more scripted. Dude, the Bro more- Barn works. The Bro Barn works as your studio. Trust me on this, all right? You've got yeah. it right there. So maybe get my lighting right, maybe get my costume right, and uh, maybe my production value will be a little, just a little bit better. 
So in 10 years from now, are we going to see Lane Johnson breaking down football games on a network? Or are we going to see Lane Johnson throwing down, having achieved wrestler status? Hey, I may be out there uh, getting involved with a big show out there in AEW wrestling or wherever he's at. So maybe getting choke slammed by the big show. So I'm hoping that happens. Boom. We look forward to seeing you getting choke slammed. And that's the strangest thing I think I've ever said to a guest here on uh, Half Forgotten History. Hey, Lane, always a fan. Appreciate your time, brother. Be well, be safe. And we look forward to getting you back out there in 2021. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you. So big ups and thanks to Lane Johnson for joining us. And after his playing days were over, we all look forward to him being a wrestler with a capital W when it's all said and done. Don't forget to use the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And when you do download or use it, make sure you put in the promo code WINGO at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. But coming up on our next episode of Half Forgotten History in Season 2, we had so much great stuff with Kurt Warner, we really couldn't fit it all into one episode. So a bonus Kurt Warner edition talking about his Super Bowl experiences and we put together a little compilation of what it's like for all the players that we talked to when I asked him, what was the first thing that went through your head when you saw that confetti fall and you realized you had pulled off your lifelong dream and you were a Super Bowl champ? So all that and much more on the season two finale of Half Forgotten History with Kurt Warner. But believe me, there is so much more ahead. We'll see you then.